John nineteen seventeen to 19. I'm going to begin at just the end of verse 16, because that's the, where the paragraph begins. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Brother Dean is going to bring us our message today, Gifts from a Dying King. Good morning, saints. You know that word means to be set apart for a holy purpose for the Lord. Okay. In case you're thinking you need to be perfect. Okay. All right. Have you ever heard a sermon that you have never forgotten the rest of your life? Has that happened to you? Well, it's also happened to me. A sermon that would change your life that caused you to know that there will be surprises in heaven one day. I did one day. I entered a nursing home. So you see, the sermon I heard was not in a church, and it was not in an evangelistic meeting. It was in a nursing home. I went to see one of my patients very early in the morning. As I entered the front door, I heard and saw a group of people around a piano. They were patients there in that forlorn place. One of those people I identified as my patient. Her name was Lenny. She was singing in the most beautiful, angelic voice I've ever heard in my life. I, I went closer and I identified her as the author of that beautiful voice. Later, I went to her bedside to visit her. I went there for a reason to help her physically, but she blessed me spiritually. Let me tell you the story. I said, Lenny, Lenny, is there any way you would sing that hymn for me that you were singing earlier? And she said, oh yes, through a lisping tongue. For you see, Lenny had no teeth. And Lenny, to make it worse, had lifelong schizophrenia. I asked her, Lenny, would you please sing that song for just me? Jesus, keep me near the cross there a precious fountain free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain near the cross A trembling soul Love and mercy found me I can't remember any more words. 
Yes, that's what she told me that morning at her bedside. I can't remember anything more. I said to her, Lenny, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Then I carried on a conversation with Lenny. Remember, she's schizophrenic. Somehow along the way, she had learned about a Savior. I said to her, Lenny, do you really know Jesus as your Savior? I'll never forget her answer. Oh, yes, she said. Oh, yes. Lenny, do you know he's coming back to take you to heaven one day? Oh, yes, she said. Lenny, do you know you'll be with him forever in heaven? Oh, yes. So you see, that morning, she preached me one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. Lenny is secure for salvation. One day her angel will come to her dusty grave and say, Lenny, wake up. Wake up. Listen for the trumpet. Jesus is coming in the clouds to take you home. Lenny will come up out of her grave. Now, in a glorified body, not with a schizophrenic mind, and she'll be with Jesus forever. Yes, I tell you, I think there'll be surprises in heaven. Today we're going to study a subject, the gifts from a dying king. Jesus left us. I'm indebted to some degree to Beatrice Neal, a writer of yesteryear, for some of the sentiments of today's message. The first gift was his cross. We'll talk about seven gifts this morning. Simon of Cyrene, which is the man who carried his cross, as the procession wound through the streets of Via della Rosa in old Jerusalem. The crowd that day was a mixed multitude. Jesus was certainly exhausted. He had been awake for hours, hauled from court to court, deprived of sleep, scourged, tormented, and spit upon. Simon had just come from his own country to the Passover for the yearly celebration. Simon found himself, at this point in history, of all the Old Testament prophets had pointed to. Multiple prophecies pointed to this weekend from Isaiah 53, 5. By the way, Isaiah wrote these words 714 years before the cross event. He was wounded for our transgressions, from Isaiah 53, 5. He was bruised for our iniquities, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, so he openeth not his mouth. Jesus fell beneath the cross that day. He could not carry it. He was too weakened. A Roman soldier was near and he spotted Simon in the crowd and at the point of a spear he commanded Simon to take the cross and carry it for Jesus to Golgotha's hill. Perhaps Simon was born for this moment in history even though he was commanded to take the cross. I believe somehow he willingly took it. Perhaps his heart was strangely warmed as he realized an innocent man was in front of him. Simon had come from afar to come to this event, but that day he did not see the ceremonial lamb service he had traveled so far 
to see and participate in because he was to participate in and watch the real lamb sacrifice that day. He participated in the main event. Certainly his life was changed forever. People of that day thought the cross a horrible thing that defiled a person, but the cross did not defile that day. The cross cleansed Simon, and it cleanses us. It taught him the truth of Romans 6.6, the old sinful self that must be crucified with Christ. Jesus gave Simon a most precious gift that day, his cross. The second gift, which is forgiveness. The second gift for his enemies was forgiveness. The mixed crowd was slowly winding through Jerusalem streets, and Simon carrying the cross. Jesus was barely able to walk. Probably some of those that Jesus had healed were in the throng that day. This procession finally made its way to what is known as the Sheep Gate outside of Jerusalem, then to Golgotha's Hill, known as the Place of the Skull. Another prophecy was fulfilled this weekend was that Jesus had been sold for 30 pieces of silver from Zechariah 11:12. Now these words were written 513 years before the cross event. Zechariah 11:12 So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Three crosses in the ground that day. Two of the prisoners fighting and cursing the soldiers. The one in the middle was silent. Again prophecy was fulfilled from Isaiah 53:7. He openeth not his mouth. Soldiers stripped the prisoners of their clothing, further humiliating them. Spikes were driven into their hands and feet. The agony was most intense. Then come some of the greatest words ever spoken on earth from Luke 23:34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we ever fall into sin or make mistakes, we can claim those words of Jesus our Savior. Father, forgive them. The scripture clearly tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. With these words, Father, forgive them, Jesus prayed for the whole world the sins of mankind, and those that were crucifying him. Forgiveness was his free gift to the whole world for those who would accept his sacrifice. But at what cost? The laws of the universe say that sin must be paid for with death. The only reason he could cancel the debt was that he was paying the price for our sins in full. He could extend this glorious gift because he had taken all the punishment and offered us eternal life. Realizing that, as Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we find then that this is the greatest gift the world has ever seen. The second gift that day he gave to us was his forgiveness, forgiveness for us all. The third gift that day, all of his earthly possessions. The third gift for the soldiers was just that, everything he owned. After soldiers nailed him to the cross, they dropped his cross in a hole, tearing Jesus' hands and feet. The agony was intense with physical pain. Also, even worse, the sins of all mankind 
were on his mind and on his shoulders. And prophecy was fulfilled again from Psalms 22.16. By the way, that was written 1,000 years before the cross event. They pierced my hands and my feet. They part my garments among them and cast lots among my vesture. The soldiers, indifferent to his suffering, arguing over his clothes, the only material things he had were his used sandals, his inner tunic, and a robe, a seamless robe, woven in one piece. So they sat at the foot of the cross with blood dripping down, arguing and finally casting lots, which was perhaps throwing dice. Remember, you and I are standing there watching this scene. The Savior of all mankind was dying for all of us and for the soldiers as they gambled down below. While the Lord of Heaven was trying to give them heaven and eternity, they fought over his earthly clothes. While the Redeemer held out to them eternal life and forgiveness of their sins, they made off with his used tunic, a pair of worn sandals, and a seamless bloody robe. They did not seem interested in his crown of thorns. Of all the gifts that day given away, the soldiers went away the poorest of all. As the prophecy had foretold, they pierced my hands and my feet. They did part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Again, written a thousand years before the event. The fourth gift, a place in paradise. The fourth gift is for the thief, a place in paradise. Remember, you and I are standing there watching this. Jesus had been suffering for hours now, was dehydrated and was thirsty beyond description. He was parched. He craved a cup of cold water. At this time his soul longed for appreciation and love and tenderness from someone. Did anyone care about the sacrifice he was making? He thirsted for one word of comfort. Instead he received insults and jeering from the scribes and the rulers and the Pharisees and the soldiers. They gave him bitter words and offered him not cold water but vinegar mixed with gall. Satan was speaking through the crowd that day, saying as recorded in Matthew 22, Save yourself if you are God's son. Come on down from the cross. The priest and the ministers of that day joined in the mockery. Come on down from the cross, the priest said. Are you not the king of Israel? You've saved others. Now save yourself. If you'll come down from the cross, now we will believe in you. He says he's God's son. Well then, let us see if God will save him now. By saying these words, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. They were acknowledging Jesus as the Savior of the world. They were preaching a great sermon, but they knew it not. The thieves, of course, heard this. One of them, maddened with pain, said, Are you not the Messiah? Then save yourself and us. Luke twenty-three thirty-nine. But his heart was not melted. But the other thief, his heart was strangely warmed. Something was happening. He was deeply disturbed and moved. The thief saw the majesty from heaven and recognized nobility, royalty, Messiah, 
and a God. Picture the prisoner in the middle, stripped of all human dignity. The sign above his head read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And Pilate had written this in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. As the thief watched Jesus, he learned much about his mission and identity from the mocking priests and the names they called him, such as King of Israel, Messiah, Son of God. The thief realized these things were true. He realized that the priest were right in saying he saved others, but himself he cannot save. The priest's words were intended as mockery, but they were true. Perhaps the priest were pouring out their own secret conviction. The thief shuddered at the thought of his own sinful life. Realizing he was lost, he feared he would never enter this kingdom that Jesus had talked about. Turning to Jesus, he pleaded, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' heart was also strangely warmed. One man, a thief, saw that he was Lord and Savior. One man, a thief, appreciated his sacrifice. With unlimited joy, Jesus opened the gates of heaven to admit the first soul saved at the cross. So we could say the thief was a great sinner, but Jesus was a greater Savior. The thief preached his first and last sermon hanging on the cross from Luke 23. We have these words. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him by telling him he was his thief no longer. He was forgiven. He had eternal life. The thief would enter the gates of heaven because Jesus entered the gates of hell. The guilty one could live because the innocent man chose to die on the cross. Jesus gave heaven to every repenting person who looks to him in faith. The fifth gift. For his mother, a son. The fifth gift was for his mother, a son. Jesus was aware that day that his mother was at the foot of the cross. He saw her. He saw her there. He realized that every lash of the whip and the nails driven into him wounded her even more. The insults, the mockery cut through her like a knife. Jesus longed to comfort her but could not. His mother was standing at the foot of the cross with John, his beloved disciple, the one that had an explosive disorder but was now converted and born again. Certainly, in his early years, she had told Jesus of the young boy and the story of Bethlehem about the angels singing above the hills of Bethlehem that night. The shepherds were there announcing Jesus' birth. He knew that story. She certainly had told him. She certainly told him of the wise men coming from the east. She told him how she cradled the helpless baby when riding that donkey into Egypt, 
Egypt in that dark night to save his life. From Matthew 2.13 and onward. She guided him in his youth and taught him eternal truths. By the way, 715 years before, Hosea had written, Out of Egypt will I call my son. Numbers had also said it in 24.18, Out of Egypt will come my son. With parched lips he looked down at them and said, as recorded in John 19, Woman, see your son. And to John he said, See your mother. They both understood what he meant. Jesus had no possessions or wealth to leave his mother. But he gave her a greater gift. One of his greatest gifts that day was to his mother, a son. The sixth gift that day was for the dying, a fountain of life. Jesus in death was stretched upon the cross. The hands that had healed blind eyes were gaping open. The feet that had walked and walked the roads and paths of Judea were nailed now. The lips that had summoned Lazarus to life again by saying, Lazarus, come forth, were now still. The lips that had spoken comfort to Jairus, the father whose daughter had died, by saying, she is not dead, but she sleepeth. And then he raised her to life. Those lips were still. And how about the widow of Nain, her son, was on his way to being buried. Jesus walked along that way. He simply touched the bier, and the widow of Nain's son came to life. That hand was now nailed to the cross. The heart that could love enemies was now laid open and bare on the cross, that you and I could gaze into its depth. And a Roman soldier took his spear and plunged it into the Savior's side after he died, and outpoured water and blood according to Scripture. That was to wash away our sins, a symbol of that. And when the Roman centurion saw that he cried out, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, he said, Surely this is the Son of God. From his broken heart flowed life to all at the foot of the cross and also to all generations before and after the cross down to us today. At the cross, God emptied heaven and himself. God gave until there was nothing more to give. Every person born can look on this scene and know that he did this for you and for me. We are of infinite value to him. He paid with us with his life. Remember Isaiah says, your names are engraved, engraved on the palms of my hands. I think of the song with the words, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. As we think of today, of the gifts of the royal dying king, to Simon he gave his cross, to his enemies he gave forgiveness, to the soldiers, his earthly possessions. To the thief, a place in paradise. To his mother, a son. To us as sinners, a way of escape. And to the dying, a fountain of life for eternal life.
We remember from Matthew 25, one day in the future, there will be just two classes of people. To some he will have to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Those words haunt me. Would it be to God that no one here will ever hear those words? Depart from me for I never knew you, for you did not accept my gift. Remember Jesus said, the only way to the Father is through me. To others he will say, however, come and enjoy the fruits of the tree of life. Come enjoy the river of life. Come into the joy of your Lord and be with me forever. From Revelation 22 onward we have these words, And they shall see his face, and there will be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Near the cross I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river of life. Eternal Father, we're thankful today to be in your house. May we walk our pathway on this earth until you come thoroughly embedded in our mind the fact that you died for us. Our names are written on the palms of your hands. May we therefore, Lord, serve you and love you to the very end of this earth and then go home forever. In Jesus' name, amen.